0: Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North This is episode 84, a brief report on concussions in football. So we all love headers. At least I think we do. Especially goals scored from headers. Whether they're bullet headers, cheeky flicks, diving headers, or ones with just awe-inspiring athleticism, they get us going. They're They're, they're always exciting. People outside of football find them to be this interesting... Addition to the game, an amazing way to score is with the header goal. I think back on some of the ones that inspired me. Messi's in the Champions League final. Cristiano Ronaldo in Sampdoria. Zidane scoring two and then a final of the 98 World Cup. Jared Borghetti, the hipster header goal. The one he could flick for Mexico again in 2002. All of these are goals that they give us a feeling. They're amazing things highlights of what the beautiful game really is but we in the last few years have started to really understand that there is a risk oh big surprise I mean we I think we always have known that there is a risk with getting involved in headed challenges with people but where this has started to get weird is there's a fear that is gripping everybody about what may be the long-term effects of heading a ball And concussions that come from the incidents around heading a ball. A lot of research has been done. Probably since the mid-90s, this has really started to pick up. Uh, In the United States here, it's been a topic that has kind of been around most of my life. Most of my life playing, I remember people talking about how headers must be dangerous. And this is also comical coming from circles in the United States where hockey... And football are massive sports where no one really bats an eyelash at, you know, boxing and wrestling and all the different kinds of combat sports. And then there's racing as well, right? It's all the different racing. You get really bad concussions from crashes and that and just get straight back in a car, right? Like, there's a lot of situations in sports where players can get injured and hurt. Obviously, the NFL was the major kickstarter here. And I wanted to talk about this. It seems like it's coming in a vacuum to you. Uh, I wanted to talk about this because there are matches being trialed. There's one, I believe FIFA is putting it on that they're going to do a match where in the first half, the only place that headers can occur is in the penalty area. And in the second half, zero headers allowed at all. Now. I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Most football purist fans just hate it and don't want anything to do with it, and I understand why. I'm more in that camp than the other. However, I think it's really important to try and figure out where the arguments are coming from, what research is being conducted, how people are fighting the results they are, and what the general narrative is and why it's going where it's going. I think almost all of this has to do with an enormous layer of fear that – we haven't achieved maximum safety in the game. There's a trade-off. There's definitely a trade-off. I think there's both sides that have very good points. So I just kind of want to address all this and get into it. I think it'd be really interesting to watch that match to see sort of what players do to cope with not being allowed to head a ball. Right? Is, if you know that the opponent can't head a ball to clear it, you may be way more likely to hit balls in the air that you can run on behind okay so we may see a lot more long balls in the game than we thought maybe what i'm saying is there are an abundant different ways to play the game and we you can already play a game without having to head the ball i mean you can play all passes on the ground you can launch balls to players who don't really go for it it already certain to a certain degree exists it's just who is going to use those things to their advantage and the header can be to your advantage if you've got a bunch of tall people, right, who are willing to go for it. But at the same time, you can be beaten in different ways. So, I think it'd be interesting to see the way a game like that would play out. It probably in a lot of ways look like a youth game, right? Where kids can't really kick the ball that high and everyone's too scared to head it anyway. So, which is something we will get into. But the truth is this really this whole thing really picked up steam, I would say mostly because of the NFL. Um, a lot of studies have been done, you know, over the course of the last few years and more and more ex players coming out and talking about it, uh, in uh, European football and soccer has really given this whole thing traction. So if I go back to what really got this going, it's junior sale. Uh, this is an NFL player who was, I mean, I think over around 20 years in the league. Ten-time Pro Bowler, really, really important player in 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 the NFL history, and he committed suicide, shot himself in the chest to make sure that his brain was could be studied because he knew that there was that his brain is the amount of concussions that that was what was wrong, and the fact that he had the presence of mind to end his own life in this way while also saying study my brain. Pretty pretty amazing milestone in in our understanding of this whole thing. So rest in peace, Junior Seau. But wow, what what a what an amazing window he gave to all these people in the medical professions and sports science to be able to look into this. So since that really got the conversation started, and obviously not to my surprise, soccer was next on the list. I mean, I I've heard people talking about checking in hockey, but hockey is also a sport where people will fight, (laughs) literally just fist fight on the ice, right? And, you know, to me it was like, well, you know, everyone's coming at soccer all of a sudden with the headers, but what about some of the other sports that exist where we're not, no one's asking for more safety there. So being, uh, being a lifelong soccer player in the U.S., at a certain point, growing up, you've been told multiple times that your sport is stupid, that it's played by grass fairies, and you've also been targeted. Every single time there's some kind of safety issue, the soccer moms come out and are like, we need to change the game. We need to make it more safe. And then there were always the people who wanted to make it more exciting, doubling the size of the goals, making the field way smaller, all that kind of thing. So in the United States, I was not shocked. And this is actually the, the home of the first headgear for soccer that was actually made. Um, the the headgear that you've seen some players wear, not the Petrček full rugby thing, but just the one that's a band around your forehead. And growing up, seeing those start to filter in, I saw some players wear them for a few weeks and then never again. And there were some players who had to wear them because they had previously gotten a few concussions and everyone was, was worried for their safety. So let's get into concussions a little bit because – there's some stats. Some seem very obvious and some may be kind of surprising to you. So, first of all, concussions are way more likely in matches than they are in training sessions. All right? That that's obvious. You've got competition going at each other, two players going for the same ball with the desire to win, right? Training sessions, you can completely construct them so that no one has to head a ball. Of course, we'll get to in a few minutes how that actually has changed. Um, concussions, they have a higher rate in females than in males, which I thought was really interesting after looking into some of the research on it. It almost has to do with literal n- neck muscles, strength in the neck. that thats That's where a lot of it comes from. Because concussions aren't just a blow to the head, you can get one from being sort of whiplashed around and have it as a neck injury as well. Player-to-player contact is by far the most common way that uh, results in concussions. It's the number one thing by a long way. Okay, talking about heading a ball, purposeful heading of the ball rarely results in concussions, and probably never if the technique is right. All right. So those the heading of the ball is something that a lot of people have gotten roped into. These are the subconcussive impacts. Right. They don't pose permanent risk based on the studies. Now, yes, some studies say that heading the ball is, is really, really bad, but a lot of the time they're not taking into account the different ways that you can have collisions. Um, there's just limited data support the fact that the sport itself is a high risk factor for neurodegenerative diseases. So look, If guys like Alan Shearer are coming on television and saying, you know, we need to do something about headers in the game because I'm worried about, you know, other players from our era having these diseases. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, we still have to wait and find out what's going to happen to all of you. But from the data that's already been collected, it doesn't seem like this sport is a real high-risk one. I mean, take boxing or MMA. I think it's gotta be way higher, right? Um, The studies are lacking to demonstrate an intermediate to long-term adverse uh, neurocognitive effects from heading the ball. So, like, we know that heading the ball is not the problem. What we do know is that contact between players Ten or the floor, those tend to be the main contributors. So some studies have, have estimated that headers contribute just about 10% of concussions, but those are generally indirectly tied to a condition rather than the direct cause. So what that means is most of the time a player may already have some kind of issue with concussions and heading a ball sort of makes that worse. And we know that if you have a concussion, the next one, Will probably be worse, and then and then it it goes on until you turn into Taylor Twelman, and you have to basically retire due to that. And I will get into Taylor Twelman as well in a bit because he made some he made some comments that I I think are very interesting in the way we think about this, especially from someone like him. So the other statistic that I think was important, and I've said it already, reduction of player contact, along with biomechanical and behavioral education, strength awareness and training. And restructuring or enforcement of the rules will all serve to reduce concussion incidents in the sport of soccer. That's what I, that's my my biggest takeaway, all comes from that. So what does that point to? Well, if you look at the data, I just think that what we can do to make heading a ball safer is educating instead of banning. Now, I understand at the youth levels, a lot has been done to try and, root that out of the game. And it makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of good reasons why. I don't really think eight, nine, 10-year-olds should really be heading a ball. There's not much reason for them to do it. It's, it's kind of unnecessary in, in the vast majority of ways. But educating how to head a ball to a 10 or 11-year-old with a soft ball can then teach them how to approach it when they use a real ball and the game gets to the point where heading is just a part of it. Look, if you do something that has the tiniest degree of risk at all in life, and you do it without much of a clue of how to keep yourself safe, you're going to be in danger, right? I mean, you don't—we don't put people in cars without teaching them how to drive, and beyond that, I mean, things like knives, fire, heavy machinery, um, chemicals, and then you know, there's plenty of sports that come with risk. Extreme sports, obviously, right? Base jumping you know, in in extreme skiing. But you tell a kid snowboarding. I mean, the amount of kids I grew up in, I, I live in Colorado. Skiing and snowboarding, kids are doing it from when they're, you know, two, three, four years old. They can easily fall over. Yes, yes, we put helmets on them. But even with a helmet, you can crash and die. It's possible, right? But you have to teach how best to do it so that you can learn to avoid accidents and you know, respect the risks that are involved. I mean, that's life, right? So a lot of what I've been hearing is almost like we need to sanitize football so that players in 30, 40, 50 years, none of them have any, even a hint of neurodegenerative disease. Like I said, as a youth coach, a lot of these concerns, uh, you you see them way more upfront at, at the youth level. But there's parents who re- worry a lot about this kind of thing. Uh, you know, kids, take on the worry that their parents have. The parents will talk a lot about concussions. The kids will, therefore, as well, talk a lot about, oh, I'm concussed, right? They do a header, it hurts just a little bit, and they're like, I think I have a concussion. You're like, no, that's not how it works. We need to teach everybody how we go about this. So if we talk about it the right way, uh, about how to protect kids and players overall, and if we look at the data, it really is clear that banning headers is not the right way to go, but that teaching the right techniques is. So the laws of the game, first of all, say I have never said anything about headers not being allowed. Back when the sport was invented, heading was not really something that was done. I mean, the ball was really big, heavy, leather thing. Heading it actually resulted in injuries, head and neck injuries, especially if the ball got waterlogged which then made it even harder to kick in the air. So back in the old days, heading was kind of an afterthought. It didn't, like, you could use everything but your hands, but you weren't really going to use your head, right? Then the ball got lighter. The designs in the ball changed, and come the 60s and 70s, headers were starting to happen more and more, and it's carried through to be just a major part of the game. Funny thing is, I would actually argue that in the 90s, headers were... Like, it was really, you'd see a lot of teams launching balls into the box, lumping balls forward. And when I look at the modern game, I see the ball on the floor a lot more. So, just based on playing style, we may have reduced the amount of concussions you're seeing now versus before by quite a bit. Um, Taylor Twellman actually said something about this. He said that, I think if it was invented today, heading would be outlawed until pretty much the professional level you know, the paid players. And that's an interesting thing to me because what this says is that you want to ban a certain part of the game from all levels except the one where they're paid. So what this means is that you're saying they accept the risk, they're being paid. Yeah, but now you've got full-fledged professionals who have not been allowed to head a ball until they're professionals. How well do you think that's going to go? They're not well-trained in it. They don't understand the nuances of how to keep yourself safe and how to keep your opponent safe because that's the truth there's times you look and you can see maybe going for a ball and you're like yeah we're gonna smash into each other i'm just not gonna make a play with my head at this one those are the kinds of situations you get an understanding for by playing the game and by being allowed to make those mistakes or not you learn from those so to say that we got to get rid of it until they become pros you will start to see a lot of concussions at the professional level Because no one's been practicing headers their entire lives, right? (laughs) Look, I I coached a game. It was a U13 game. This was like five years ago or something like that. The opponents had a throw in, okay, around the sideline. Kid goes and throws it up the line. A little bit of a looping throw. Again, these are 12-year-old kids. It's not a long throw. It's gone eight, nine yards looping. Bounces on the ground just in front of one of my players. So he's got three choices. One, just tilt your, tilt your head down just a little bit and head the ball. Two, duck and dodge it completely and let it go behind you. Or three, take it in the face. Okay. He takes what I consider was the right option, just lightly pads the ball down with his head and controls it. The referee calls a foul, Now, I understand the referee was following the rules, so I'm not dogging the referee for calling it. I also understand that what the referee's protocols, what the referee was probably told to do in this kind of scenario, and this is where it really bothered me, is that the kid was told, he was spoken to, and said if you do that again, you're going to have to go off the field. This doesn't mean red card, it just means take a break because you're clearly not paying attention to the safety. And spoke to me and said, please tell your players no one's allowed to head the ball. Like, you you, you cannot let your players do that. And I was like, the ball was going to hit him in the face. So he used the hard part of his face, his forehead, to protect his nose and, you know, what we all like to call the moneymaker. I mean, now you're telling a kid, okay, actually let it go and let the forward be able to get the ball and maybe score or take it in the face because the face is not the head. If it just hits your face, it's not a concussion, you know, or it's not a header. You know, there's no risk of concussion with it hitting your nose. So, I mean, like this is kind of how silly the thinking got on this. And I watched this happen and realized within the next few years as I was coaching 15, 16, 17-year-olds, how many of them did not know how to head a ball. A punt would be going and kids would bend, they would bend down and and, and scrunch their neck down into their shoulders and wait for the ball to hit them on the top of the head. I mean, and that hurts. You can tell. And you're like, well, what are you doing? That's not the right technique. You have to jump up for it, go through the ball, pull your neck back, and then snap it through the ball. Use your arms. It's got to hit your forehead, not the top of your head, right? Teaching the proper technique. The crazy thing is, even at these age groups, I mean, and it happens a lot more with the girls than the boys because people are very scared of teaching girls headers. This is what I've gathered from a lot of coaches. You see handballs all over the place from players who, when a ball is in the air, they go sort of towards it, they stick their feet karate kick style up, they put their arms up, and then you're conceding penalties and free kicks because kids are scared. I mean, they don't know how to deal with the ball, they're terrified of it, then they're conceding free kicks and fouls. I mean, it's not that's not going anywhere good. And if you're just like, well, if you're one of those people that hears this and goes, well, That's good. At least they're just not heading the ball. That's the dangerous thing. No. The dangerous thing is that they're recklessly moving their bodies around, jumping in the air, kicking, and throwing their arms up. Now you've got elbows all over the place. I mean, it's not safer. It's just not safer, right? So... It, teaching the proper technique is everything to me. and I, i've been I've been doing this now for the last year with a lot of my players working on how to head a ball so that it doesn't hurt. There's plenty of really, really cool ways out there. Using water balloons uh, is really good because <clears throat> you basically tell them you have to break the water balloon. Like if you let it hit you, it might not break. You have to go through it and break it. I think that that's a great one for any coach out there. Um, kids really love it, especially on a good hot day. But I look back at Raúl Jimenez, right? This is probably one of the marquee head injuries we've seen in the mod in, in recent years. Obviously, Petr Checks was really, really big for a guy to be out for a year, come back, and continue to play goalkeeper for the rest of his career. But look, David Luiz, first of all, I mean, that was a horrible foul. I mean, it should have been a penalty. I don't I don't think they ever gave a penalty for that. Um David Luis came flying out of out of nowhere and just smashes Raul Jimenez in the side of the head it was a terrible challenge from the Brazilian and the reason why no the reason why it bothers me a lot is because very rarely do you hear commentators or analysts or experts or anyone talking about how you are supposed to jump for a ball what is the rule you don't hear it from these people Here's, here's what it is. The rule is quite simple. When you are going into a headed challenge with someone else, you're supposed to jump straight up. You're supposed to get where you think the ball is going to go and jump straight up. That's it. If both people jump straight up, it's shoulder to shoulder contact and rarely are the heads going to smash into each other. They might bump a little bit and that hurts, but it's, it's way less damaging to your brain than getting trucked from the side, right? So, one of the biggest issues that I notice, aside from the elbows, which are obviously huge, that that's a problem. And again, a, a massive error in technique. But one of the biggest things I notice all the time in games is when there is some kind of foul in, or, or, an inch, or an incident where a player gets just trucked in, in a headed challenge, it's because someone came jumping from the side... As if they were off-screen and jump on-screen and go across to yet again off-screen. If you jump like that and someone else jumps straight up, you're going to take them out every time. And you're going to injure them. So that is where, as I said before, how can the rules actually be enforced in the way that they're already written? You don't have to change them. But you just have to enforce them. When players jump in from the side at an angle into somebody, it's a foul. It's a yellow card. Just do that. Yellow card. We're giving straight reds for elbows because guess what? Zlatan got away with a ton of completely obvious, very intentional elbows. I'm not saying he's the reason why, but now that we have VAR, a lot of those are getting phased out. And look, does it happen at the lower levels? Of course. But it really is interesting to me how if we can teach that you don't jump high with your elbows and you don't jump in from the side, we're going to reduce a lot of concussions. So we have to start talking about those things before we talk about banning again. Now, headgear is an interesting topic as well. I, I've played with kids who who wear it. The only ones who ever wore it uh, that I played around, uh, well, one or two because they had very, very, very concerned parents. Uh, the other ones, it was because they had a history with concussions. They had had a few serious head injuries and they just literally, they had to wear it. Now, What's interesting is if you outfit a whole bunch of players, if you outfit 20 kids or whatever with this headgear and say, go on out and play, what's going to happen? It's the same as when you get in, when you do the bubble soccer. People start running into each other because they feel this extra level of protection. When your head does not have any protection around it, you think twice about going and sticking it in a place where it shouldn't be. What they've found with these, they've they've tried some of these games with players where everyone's wearing the headgear, and they haven't noticed any kind of reduction in the way the incidents that lead to concussion happen. Because basically, everyone's like, "Oh, I've, I'm I'm protected. I can be a little bit more reckless, or I can be just a little bit more ambitious and 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 aggressive." So, you know, that obviously doesn't really help. And look, I'm all about coaches limiting headers in training. Let's let's be clear about this. I listened to the Gavin Jules show when they talked about this. And Gab Marcotti was talking about how, you know, one of the things that is really bad is that when he, when he was a defensive midfielder, when he was young, and they used to do training sessions, the coach would either punt or smash balls into an area, and three or four players just had to go and battle for it. And they used to do, you know, do this for 40, 45 minutes, just repeatedly over and over and over. Okay. Can I tell you all, those are the dog days, and I hope they're over everywhere. I really hope that no one's doing this anymore. It's old school, and it's the type of thing that, honestly, I haven't seen on a field in years. And judging by the way football is just played, the the the, the styles, the way kids want to play— I don't think there's any way you can get away with launching balls in at training sessions to players to have 150 headers a day a week. I just don't see it. So anyone who's complaining about that, please take that with a grain of salt. If if, if you hear an ex-pro talking about how dangerous these training sessions are, were, then just go, okay, cool. You're talking about the past. Nowadays, people aren't doing that. I, I, I And I, again, I hope that no coach is doing that. But... It's just the game has changed so much. We're, we're playing on the floor way more often, so we don't need people in their 50s telling us that the way we're doing it now is as dangerous as the way they were doing it then when they had no care in the world for, for sports science or data. It, it, the game is not played the same as it was in the 90s. I mean, to, to think so would just be ridiculous. So, look, the reality is when you play sports, you run risks. That That's just the way it is. I don't care what sport you do, you are running a risk. All right. Uh, let's be honest. The most terrifying incident in terms of injury we've seen this year was not a head injury. It was cardiac arrest. When Christian Erickson went down fit as a fiddle at the Euros and his heart stopped for for something like 15, 20 minutes, um, what we learned was that quality CPR training and understanding of how you can use a defibrillator and what kinds and what kind of time you have, just how to go about that whole process. That saved a life, okay? So what? I mean, I don't have CPR staff on the fields next to me. I'm certified in CPR. But would I be able to keep a kid alive for 15, 20 minutes if they're just out without any help whatsoever? I'm not sure. What does that mean? That now we need to outfit players with... You know, are all the pros going to need to have those vests on, but they're monitoring their heart rate, and if it gets to a certain level, they have to be removed from the field of play. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens, and as awful as it is to witness as spectators horrible injuries on television, this is a sport, and it comes with risks. And like I said, I don't think that headers should be banned whatsoever, but I do think the education from the base level needs to improve. I don't think that banning headers until the age of 14 makes any sense. I think that teaching with soft balls and water balloons and maybe even an egg, (laughs) that's always fun, to the younger kids, to show them the right ways. And then, look, if we are as humans train ourselves to be wise and safe at the same time, we can accomplish all kinds of things. But if we reduce ourselves to a point of fear and say, that's just too dangerous, we're gonna lose what makes so many of these sports and different things in life exciting, fun, and worth something. So I just want everyone, you know, t- take some time to think about this. The, the, the concussion thing is is a really, really good conversation debate, but I still sit with education over getting rid of something. That's just my opinion. All right, everybody, this is Campfire Football. I hope you've enjoyed this little side episode. Thanks, everybody.